Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Thinking Wealth podcast. Uh, we've been away for a little while, working away on the website and the community in the hub. Um, so it's my pleasure today to uh, ask, as our first guest back for probably six months or so, it's Aaron Love Yahaya. Aaron, I hope I've got that right. That I really do. Alex, it's it's certainly fine. Uh, thank you for the intro and thank you for inviting me on. No problem and, at all. Um, okay. <laughs> right, mate, let's get into it then. So I want to just start off by touching on something. I was going to say it just in our little conversation before I hit record there. We actually met around, and you're probably thinking, have we even met? We met around seven years ago. Uh, I went through Progressive. I think I might have mentioned this to you before. I did their VIP um, course, if you like. And you was one of the first people that I met there. So I don't know if you remember that. It was in the in the first building. Yes. Downstairs. Yep. Yep. Yeah, you know, I do. I do. I do. I do remember. Good. Um, it, it's it's one of the, the gifts that I did have uh, a little bit earlier before I discovered uh, drink where I used to be able to remember, I'd never really forget people. And I was actually inspired by this. I remember the conscious decision I took to try and remember people and remember their circumstances and everything else. I, I read a story and I'm not, I haven't gone back to investigate to see whether it was a myth or not, about this Roman senator that had 300,000 inhabitants in his town. Right. And he could stop anyone and have a conversation about them and their wow. life. Wow. And everything else. And what that led me to think is, well, the human being is capable of that. Yeah. Right. And let's not forget the Romans had aqueducts, which were filled with lead. So mm -hmm. most of the time when they were roaming around, especially in big cities, they were they were being lead poisoned all the time. So I'm thinking if a lead poisoned Roman senator can train <laughs> their brain to use that way, then that is possible. That's a, yeah, that's a great effort. Absolutely great <laughs> effort. Yeah, I mean, that's going back seven years ago now. So just for the people that don't know you, Aaron, give us a bit of an insight to your sort of background, your history, you know, what you're up to now, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, as Alex intimated, so I'm, I'm Aaron, and you always got to start with a name. Uh, what I'm currently doing is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in property primarily, and uh, so, you know, I do developments, I do social housing, and... You know, currently we're we're raising a PRS fund to do a little bit more and more aggressively into into that sector. But by way of background, I'm an economist economist by training, so that's maths, further maths, econometrics, mathematical modeling, right. um, and then that led me into specialising in development economics. And so, you know, I've, in my time, I've you know gone out to Ethiopia, to China, you know, out to Nigeria to sort of do do stuff there, but. In terms of what's formed, you know, sort of 360, and uh, it's been my business experience across a couple of decades. I've been in hospitality, I've owned venues, uh, property developments, I've had a record label, had a publishing company. Wow. And um, so that that is the short version, as well as doing a lot of stuff in the personal development space. So in a nutshell, that is almost every box ticked and yeah. you know i'm happy to delve in and out and jump in and out of the various modalities but i don't want to 
bore people or keep them too much, but that is the essence of what's made me uh, who I am and really influenced the way that I think about life. Yeah, and I think what we found as well, Aaron, and I'm sure you would probably go along with this thought, when you're more independent in in your thinking, um, in business, your eyes are generally more open to things anyway. That's how we, that's the people that we sort of speak to and the circles that we mix in. That's what we generally find that they're more open-minded, they're more willing to ask, you know, a few questions about what's going on in the world. Obviously we've had the two years that we've had, which we'll no doubt get into. I can't not have you on uh, as a guest on the podcast and not talk to you a bit about that, but we'll come to that a bit later. So yeah, I think the more you mix around this type of, um, person, you you naturally do open your mind, and you are more inquisitive. You don't just settle. Basically, I think um, you want to find out more. Would you go along with that? Absolutely. And the the problem is that we don't remain open minded for long enough. Mm-hmm. And but the thing that we often discard is that we're always absorbing our environment. So we have to be intentional to be open-minded and also be intentional to notice what comes into our environment because we observe and we absorb things. And so, you know, I used to have this thing that I'd ask people, you know, what's your favorite film or what's your favorite TV series? Um, And they'll be able to name it. And I'll say, name a character from there. And they'll be able to name it. I said, can you name something that's happened to that character? And they'll be able to say something. And I said, did you ever consciously sit down, you know, and learn those characters and go all the way through? You just absorb it by exposure. Mm -hmm. So we have to be conscious that we never stop absorbing what we're in. But if we don't notice, then these things can take a hold of us subconsciously without us actually actively noticing. So, yeah. um, And that, I mean, what we touched on now is, you know, I said to Alex, the other Alex this morning, (laughs) uh, I didn't say it to myself. uh, I said to the other Alex this morning, uh, you've obviously got this sort of business background that sort of aligns with what we do here at Thinking Wealth, but you've also got the open mind, um, the willingness to ask questions uh, and and the sort of the core principles that you live your life by are the very principles that we're encouraging everybody involved within our community to explore if they haven't got those things ingrained already. Because um, what we have witnessed over the last two years has been nothing short of well, whatever word you can think of to describe it, I've got numerous, but it's just been an absolute mess. So, but we'll part that just for a minute because I feel like we could talk about that all day. So um, I suppose this first little section I wanted to just um, touch on would be, you mentioned it a moment ago, the various different businesses you've been involved in. So could you just delve into a little bit more about those, maybe your property or your investing, entrepreneurship, those sorts of experiences that you've had? Yeah, so it's 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 very interesting to to try and find out where to start. But I, I think I have to go back to my basic mindset, and the basic mindset I have is: where is the opportunity? Where are the problems? What's the angle? Mm-hmm. And what can I do? Who do I who do I have to be to to solve that problem? Yeah. Who do I have to know? to be able to get answers. And so that is the basic framework with which I approach stuff. And 
and um, I think the first person to say this was, um, I can't remember who, I think it was Simon, Simon Sinek, I said it again recently, he said, 100% of your customers are people, 100% of your staff are people, 100% of your colleagues are people. So you can't know business without knowing people. Yeah. And um, that is the, the, the top level framework. So going back into some of the stuff that I did, um, probably with a focus on property, is I, I, I say this often, is that I'm not a, I'm not a bricklicker. Um, you know, <laughs> we've been called many things, us, us uh, unwashed over the last two years, but brick liquor, I've never heard of that one before. And, 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 it, and it sounds, it sounds, it sounds slightly humorous and, and depending on your sensitivity, slightly derogatories. For me, property is an asset class, but uh, someone said to me, if you clothe people, if you feed people, if you house people, you'll never be hungry. Yeah. Right. Because, oh, yeah. the, you know, the, the, these are the essentials. So I approached... And how I came into property wasn't um, it, so. I my you know my father's my father's a, you know a doctor. Um, I come from medical almost sort of family and everything well, that comes with it. You know, sister's consultant. You know, yeah. stepmother professor, mum's you know, everyone's just got all those letters, which again was a bit of a problem because you know I'm I'm an economist and you know sort of if someone if someone falls down and break breaks the leg yeah. no one says can you please call an economist to, to sort of <laughs> to, you know what I mean your plumbing goes it, it's different having one of those things to think they, they don't need me to think about how to solve the problem but I'll probably be able to know why you should call one plumber over the other or or you know exactly why yeah. you should go to that hospital over the other so what's what's fascinating <laughs> sorry to jump in mate what's fascinating yeah, what's fascinating about that and it's something that resonates with me just hearing you talk about that scenario where you've got medical professionals in the in the family is all of that said knowing what I do know about you through sort of our brief meetings and our you know interaction over social media I would bet a large sum of money that you'd still be able to give a more holistic um opinion on something even medical because I know how your mind works. You know, you don't just look at the physical. You're not just looking at traditional medicine. You know, there's a far greater um, story there to explore. And knowing from what I've seen from you, you go into detail and you look from different angles. And yeah, so I bet that has been fascinating for you, mate, over the last uh, period of time. It's it's um, as we'll we'll, we'll, se we'll segue into that uh, briefly. What's been utterly fascinating is. What a lot of people do not understand, if you only know it from social media, is they there is a saying that we have, which is called JJC, which is Johnny Come Lately, is someone who arrives on the scene. Uh -huh. People do not know that the very first time I went out to the field was in 1990, right? So I know, you know, I, I know people don't know my age, but, and I wasn't a doctor. And what happened was my dad was doing, was out there with UNICEF and the WHO. And they were doing childhood inoculations. And at that point, you'd, um, you'd give the childhood immunizations. You'll also treat uh, stuff like uh, yellow fever. Or not oh, yellow yeah. fever, sorry. River blindness. Okay. And you'd be using, you know, it's called anochorisis. And the pronunciation is, is a bit off. But you'd be, you'd be then looking at, you know, different stuff. And you'll be seeing, uh, looking at nutrition. Uh, you'll be looking at that other stuff. 
not not me. I was what nine years old, so I obviously wasn't doing that. The reason why I was taken out there with one of my brothers and one of my sisters yeah. um, was so my dad wanted to show us what the difference was between us as doctors' kids and the conditions that other children were in, mm-hmm. and also to inspire us to be in the medical field. Yeah, that didn't quite go because I've discovered subsequently. I used to get goosebumps. I have something called trifophobia. Okay, which I'd never heard of the name. Trifophobia. Trifophobia. It's. I thought you were going to say you were scared of trifles for a moment. <laughs> no, I thought you said trifophobia. One one look at the generous <laughs> winter proportion around my waistline will tell you that I am not scared of trifles. <laughs> In fact, someone would call me a pro trifler. I'm definitely not an anti trifler. If that's what you're going to go anti. down. <laughs> so. So going okay. going back on this onto that, what trifophobia is is a um, is a reaction to certain geometric shapes. So yeah. for example, if I look at a honeycomb mm-hmm. long enough, I might oh. get goose, goosebumps. Or yes. if I see if I see spots of yes. a certain thing, yeah, I might get goosebumps. Do you know? I'm even speaking to you now, yeah. and I'm getting goosebumps describing it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've heard of this. I've heard of this. Have all these medical books and. Uh, and I used to just get goosebumps opening up and seeing some of the close-ups and everything. I'm even getting goosebumps speaking now. I never <laughs> knew I never knew it was a condition, but I was definitely not going to. So, for example, if you have a wound and you've put pl- uh, plaster on it, I was about to say sellotape. You don't want to do that. And you pull it off. Sometimes the plaster leaves, you know, it just leaves the marks of the shape or the grooves, uh-huh. right? And if it's a yellow posse, well, now why am I doing this to myself? Yeah, that stuff used to get me goosebumps, no stories, and even now I get goosebumps. So I was never going to go down that field. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so closing the loop in relation to when I started speaking about uh, around this stuff is people do not realize I've been looking at this. I've been involved in this stuff all my life, mm-hmm. and I've been looking at this particular stuff. And as I said, I specialize in development economics. So one of the things that I was looking at pretty early on was the link between um, vaccination, nutrition, and sanitation, right? And I first started looking at this two decades ago. So just to pull and rein that back in, Mm -hmm. and sometimes people do not realize how long you've been around a topic um, because you don't always share everything that influences how you think or how long you've been looking at something in every interaction so i think as well i mean just yeah from from my end just to bring that back into the original sort of question you touched on it in at the start of your response um you know for us it's not the more you do something the more you invest the more you are being an entrepreneur it becomes a lot more about than just making money there's so much more to it. I mean, it's like you just touched on, it's serving people. What did you say? If you can, if you can house people, um, you can feed people. If you people. can house people, feed them, and yeah. clothe them, you won't go hungry. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the develop, those are developments up from when most people start out in business, especially young males, I would suggest. It's all about, I want to I wanna make money. I want to build a business and make money. And I think the more you go through, this, I hate using the word journey, but I can't think of a better one at this time. Don't stop as, believing. As you, as, you go, <laughs> as you go through this sort of journey, you, you go on a bit of a, a spiritual path as well, don't you? That's what I've found, where you, you, you move around and it becomes a lot more than just 
as I say, making I, I think cash. You, you're, you're totally spot on. And I think one of the tragedies, uh, that's the word I, I was looking to describe the last two years. It's, it's, not, it's not been a tragedy in itself. It's been the tragedy has become obvious mm-hmm. over the seeds we've planted and the trees we uprooted. You see, um, I think one of the things that we have done, especially as we've ramped up consumerism in the, in the West, especially, and we've imported this, is, is sever the link between a man's physical and spiritual needs and somehow think these are two separate things. Yeah. Whereas we also know intellectually, if we put them into silos, that a, a patient's recovery, when we're talking about sort of, you know, let's call it Rockefeller medicine or medicine of the last 100 years or Western medicine, is yeah. that, you know, I was speaking to a consultant the other day and he was talking about some of his cancer patients. And depending on the word that the doctor says, it almost influences their, their, their life. So there's a placebo and the nocebo effect. So a doctor can literally say, call everyone in, make sure you say your goodbyes, right? And then the next day, the patient will, 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 will pass through the night. Or the doctor can say, well, there's nothing we can do. We've got about three years left. Just pack your stuff up and leave the hospital. No treatment. And they live for an extra four years. Yeah. Yeah. It is, you know, through the words alone. So, so the reason why that's important is that there is a link between the mental and the physical. And without, if you have anything missing, you cannot be complete. And incomplete people are always looking to fill that hole. Yeah, and, that void. You know, that void. And it's, it's the existence of the void, the hollowing out that we have created, especially over the last 30 years really kicked in on the 60s but you know we could be here for hours but especially over the last 30 years in terms of the people who are now in decision making processes they yeah. have a hollow void and with that hollow void you can fill in product you can fill in the latest celebrity gossip gossip you can you can put anything you want into yeah. that. sport distractions of any ab- kind ab- yeah ab- ab- absolutely so the neglect of the spiritual um aspect has been one of the greatest tragedies and a lot of people always complain and they said, okay, why are the walls? Oh, we're trapped, we're walls. It's a, it's, you know, everything's puritanical and, you know, this concept of morality and, you know, men and women and sexuality, it's all trapping. But no one really asked, okay, everyone rushed to take down the walls, but no one asked why the walls were there in the first place. Yeah, yeah. For a great point. You know, great and, point. And, and so we're finding out why. Because change doesn't mean progress. And not mm-hmm. everything that's new is better. And that's right? so, so true. I mean, again, a lot of what you've just said there completely resonates. And these are sort of conversations that we have all of the time between ourselves, the, the circle that we mix in, the people already within the Thinking Wealth community. It's so true. There's so much going on in the psyche of, of men of women, of kids, that it's just been dropped in there and people don't even realise. Um, yeah, it's a fascinating conversation. That's a podcast episode in itself, I would think. Um, if we just move this forward now then, Aaron, so I'd wanted to touch on um, where you see the investing world moving forward. Now, you've been involved in it like we have for a little while now, and we've got a, a few theories of where society's going generally and obviously the knock-on effect of that i just wanted to get 
your take on that, where you see maybe the world of money, for example, like I say, the world of investing with its property, whatever it might be. What are your thoughts? That's, um, it, it's really, it's really interesting. It's a big question, by the way. It, it is a big, <laughs> it is a big question. And when you say invest in the world, that is a whole, a whole big thing. So uh, there's, you know, there's something I'd um, not recommend or encourage people to explore, and, and uh, that's a couple of uh, recent uh, things by Ray Dalio, yeah, on Bridge Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm not going to go into the detail of that. But I'm just going to distill a few things that are that we need to almost remember. I'm going to go top level and, and then zoom down to try and answer more specifically uh, what where I think we're going over the next sort of. Uh, 12 months, uh, five years, and and possibly beyond. Yeah. And there are a few things that we need to distill. Human behavior runs in cycles, right? Supply, demand, and needs remain the same. So supply and demand, very, very simple. Things aren't that deep. When we think about particularly in property, right, we do not have, we, we do not have enough houses, and that is ex- exacerbated by societal change. Yeah. And societal change, this is what I mean in terms of um, the breakup of families, more single single homes, um, people wanting to to you know live on live on their own. And we also have this. We've 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 had Brexit, which was the uh, the forerunner to a lot of the psychological conversations that we're having today in terms of dehumanizing people that have a different point of view but we still have um upward pressure on houses on housing so on a simple supply and demand basis right we will have we need more houses right so what's what effect is that going to have that's that's going to have an effect at least in the short term, when we talk the short term, I'm talking 12 months plus on prices. So I can expect that to be an upward pressure. Yeah. Then before we start to see the effects of the printing of money and we start to see the inflational, in, inflationary uh, pressure affecting people's ability to be credit worthy, you know, availability of mortgages. And of course, we have the rate rises to come. Yeah. It's going to be a fascinating time. It, it is going to be fascinating. So the house, what's the the, the house price uh, rise is going to to bottom out, or at least the rate of growth is going to slow, but it's not going to stop. But what I where I do see running is the rental market running for for a couple of couple of reasons. Number one, there's still going to be upward house pressure, but what we're finding now is a lot of institutions um, are stepping into the breach. Um, I can really speak about the UK market. So the PRS sector in the UK institutionally owned is probably between 2.5 and 5%. In Holland, Germany, um, and the US, we're talking 25%. So there is a massive gap where we'll start to see a lot more of these institutional funds uh, come in. You say PRS, you're about private private rent, 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 yeah. sector uh, and we're moving away from the from the landlord who's got one or two properties to these big massive funds uh, condos a bit more of the european model and and so but what that will mean is that the rental the rental demand is something that that is going to unfortunately keep keep rising in terms of rental prices yeah um and i see i, I see that being 
quite an issue when we start to talk about standard of living, um, you know, purchasing power parity as, as the currency stuff kicks in. And there's a second kind of consumer as well, which is the consumer that's actively decided to be a nomad, right? So they will roam around, they won't be looking to buy, they won't be looking for permanent housing. Um, so these are interesting, interesting changes. I mean, we used to do something called pestle analysis. I don't know if you remember. You know, just the, on that. Go on, run that by me again. I don't remember that. <laughs> so it, it's just where you actually look at all the factors that affect things. So, okay. um, you know, we still have six factors, which will be political, economic, uh, social, technological, environmental, and legal. Yeah. And this is how you use when you're actually doing a SWOT analysis in your industry, which is strength, weakness, opportunities, and threats. You start to say, okay, what are the political changes? What are the economic changes? What are the social changes? What are the technological changes? What are the environmental changes? What are the legal changes? And what we've had in the last few years is a unique storm. Normally, at least sort of four or five of these factors remain stable, right? So you're able to model effectively because yeah. there's less volatility. But what we've had in the last sort of two years is volatility across everything. Let's look at political. I don't even need to speak that much. Look at what's going on with sort of Boris, with Labour, with all the rest of it. Economic, I don't really need to say that much. Look at where we are with inflation, the restructuring of the economy. Social, look at the different movements that we're having from anything from, you know, the conversations around race to the conversations around gender, the conversations around sort of family, the conversations around, you know, fatherhood and there's a lot of stuff going there then we start to look at technology how are people consuming wow. how are people um how are people what what are people doing in terms of commuting uh, we're on zoom right now uh what is the metaverse going to look like you yeah know, what are what you know nfts we're starting to look at you know uh, remember second the second life effect how much of people's lives are going to be lived uh online what does this mean for global so in, environmental now we're talking in many different ways. So on a, on, a, on a top level, you can say, okay, what effect is the move towards sustainability? And these things um, interact. So if you look at some of the stuff that's coming out in terms of Mark Carney and, and look at Wall Street, we're looking at the move towards ESG. How is that going to affect things on a practical thing? Then we look at legal. You only have to look at the UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand to start to see the changes in legislation which will have a key effect in the way that we conduct and live, whether it's stuff like the online harms bill to, um, you know, what was the other thing called the kill bill, whether, whether it's the, um, yeah. the, um, the, the ju judiciary, um, <laughs> the, the name escaped me, but the police crimes and sentencing bill. And there's lots of different bits of legislation. So for example, just yesterday, the, um, the, the government with immediate effect scrapped the high net worth visa scheme right so what effect is that going to have in terms of investors and in terms of people who trade uh trying to keep on property and i'm, I'm trying to keep the topics a bit tight. yeah yeah well um, i was just about to put in there Aaron, and just say i mean what you've just described there in a nutshell yeah proves that you can't have these conversations about the future of investing without considering every single one of those factors that you've just mentioned because they're intrinsic. The whole thing works Absolutely. in flow with one another. And like you say, where, where traditionally we may have had an economic downturn and that obviously affect things 
now we've got everything turned upside down. Um, you know, how and why that happens is another conversation, I guess, but it's here. Um, and it's something as investors, we've got to try and navigate through as best as we can. And and you've hit the nail spot on, but I think I think the I think the key thing is that everything is different and everything's exactly the same. So true, yeah. So the pace of change and the fact that we're living it in our lifetime is what makes it different. There's there, there's not a single thing that has happened that I can say as totally new, which sounds a bit surprising considering how much I I discuss these. What's happened has been the scale, the awareness, the speed, and the things running concurrently. That's yeah. the only thing that's new. There's not a single element of the last two years which, <coughs> which, um, which is new. And especially for us, to, for us in the West, I think the biggest change is over the last two years, the global middle class have been brought more into, into the situation and the global middle class, majority of which is in the West, there's yeah. absolutely nothing new. Is it government corruption? I mean, think about it. Um, we will come back into the investing. But we have a magazine called Private Eye, right? Private Eye is a magazine all about government corruption. Mm -hmm. It's, what, 60 years old? Yeah. Nothing new. <clears throat> you know, we have, we have, whether we talk about certain companies, so, for example, one of the... the the biggest companies, the, 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 the company pushing um, some of the treatments in this period has, has got 71, 71 criminal actions, 71, right? 71 yeah. billions in fines, right? Yeah. So there's nothing new. They've been corrupt for decades. It's a business model. It is, a bit like yeah. Ford did with, was it the Edson, where they calculated that it'd be cheaper to pay, to pay families' compensation than it would be to recall all the cars, right? <laughs> so there's not a single element. Is it is it government contracts being underhand? It, it, this has been happening. Is it is it the news being less than honest? I mean, there is there is a hilarious. That's cr <laughs> that's, that, that's de well, from my opinion, that's definitely been um, a theme of what we've experienced over the two years. That's one thing. Up, yeah. yeah, it's been ramped. That's the way I put it. It's been ramped up and it's been more glaringly obvious for eyes that are willing to see it. Um, yeah. But yeah, there we go. So, so coming back to how it affects economics, uh, in, your, in your spare time, there is a clip from Gulf War One, where basically CNN try and fake, uh, they try and fake that our reporters in Iraq. It's, it's the funny, it looks, when you look at it now, it looks like a set and it was literally a set. It's, I'll find it and send it to you. Practically. Yeah, please, that'd be interesting. <laughs> but in terms of where I think we're going, then we have to look, bring in, you know, the Pareto principle and say all these things are moving at the same time. But what is going to have the greatest effect for us as business people, as entrepreneurs, particularly as property investors? Then we, then we sort of almost roll back and say, okay, where am I currently? What season of life are we in? And this links into the conversation we had a little bit earlier about the spiritual, mm -hmm. right? The spiritual and the wholeness of you as a human being really, really affects everything else that you do. What season of life am I in? What do I want to do next? What does my life look like? Now, yeah. these sound like two things which are totally separate, but it is not possible for you to make proper economic decisions without first coming to grips 
with where you are personally. What what season am I in? What resources do I have? What am I willing to do? So true. What are my commitments? And I think having the ability to uh, recognise and make those changes that you, I think you're touching on there is a gift in itself. People, from what from my experience dealing with various different people, they have a um, a persona that they th- put out there that they live up to on a very basic level. I'm talking something fairly basic here, and they live their whole life by that because they can't deviate from what who they are, who they should be. So having the skill to recognise that who you are in the first place is a skill and finding that out and willing be willing to find that out is a big, big skill. But then to take it on another level and recognise that you're changing and then make those changes that you see in yourself in your business life, again, is another level up again. Um, you know, things change all the time. We change as people all the time. And I think... Um, it's a brave, brave step, especially for business people, um, to link those two things because a lot of people try and separate them out, don't they? You know, I was Absolutely. a little bit different, going a slightly on a slightly off on a bit of a tangent here. Mm-hmm. You know, what we've seen over the last two years with with the pandemic is a period of time where people are more concerned about um, preserving the the image of their business than putting out truths and speaking truths. And I've seen a little bit of a twist. I've got somebody in my head in particular that you know you work, you've worked with closely. Um, I don't know if you still do, but you did previously. A guy that's very active on social media that's got his own podcast whose name's changed recently. And all of a sudden, it's, it's, clicked, it's kicked into gear. And it's like, oh, great. You know, this is what we need to start seeing. People with a voice like his who are willing to say what they're feeling and how much of an impact it's having on people, on small business, on everybody, on, in every sense. Absolutely. And, and um, you touched on a few things there that I'd like to roll back. Is You talked about the ability to recognise uh, who you are and what's going on as a skill. And um, it's one of those things where, honestly, I don't know... I don't know whether it's a skill or whether it takes a certain amount of freedom and maturity, which we've been discouraged from exploring. Um, I don't know. Do, do you ski, Alex? No, I've, something I'd love to do. All right. Okay. It. So um, I don't ski. I snowboard, which okay. for, for, for people, it makes a difference. But the one thing is the very first time I was learning to snowboard, I resisted the mountain, wow. right? I try and lean back. And when you lean back, you fall over. Right. right. But and then my instructor used to say you have to attack the mountain and then control it. But you've got to be moving to change direction. So when you get on the slope, you literally have to get basically look at the mountain and attack the mountain. Right. And a lot of people are, are scared to open up to find out who they really are because they're scared of what they will will find. Yeah, hundred percent. And then they you know, they they never actually explore that. And that means they they have this hollowness. Uh, which they can be uh, directed into any direction that people want. Yep. But then without the authenticity, all you have is a, a uh, is a front. It's a and shell. Then they do, it's a shell. 
and they yeah. do everything to maintain that shell mm-hmm. because they don't want people to see what's inside, including complying with stuff that they think is totally bonkers, including prioritizing their social image over what's right, you know, what's right, including yeah. children. Right, it becomes it becomes that thing, which sort of uh, encapsulates and drives them. But uh, I suppose there is a question that I haven't answered, which you did ask, is in terms of where do I see the future in, in this world of entrepreneurship? Um, I, you know, I, I have to almost discipline myself to stay on topic uh, because I, I, you know, I want to honour people's time when they're consuming this. I do think that there are there are opportunities because they always they always are. But you have to be comfortable with where you want to go, looking at the time frame. Yeah. Talking about people using their voice and going around, I've gone full circle uh, quite a few times because I, I can recount there were people, there were some people who were really, really vocal in mm-hmm. the first six months and there's nothing from them. They've run out of steam, right? And other people who have gradually come to the realization, excuse me, <laughs> that's some things. <laughs> aren't quite right okay yeah or, so, or some things don't make sense but but we've taken 30 years to get here in this country i can particularly point to what set us on this current trajectory in terms of when the pace accelerated and actually started in 1997 with tony blair's government where we have this particular phase we've literally had the same government since 1997 right um if, if, if Cameron, Blair, uh, Brown, whatever, were to swap ties, you wouldn't know who was who. Yeah. Right? You know, if they were to just, you know, swap ties. So we've had the same government, and it's been the same thinking that has... Um, the same group think. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been the same. It's, it's, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same group think. You know, it's the same group think. So... In, in that respect, we've had the same thing. So what do you do about it? And, and what practically can you take away from today? Know who you are, know the season that you're in, know what your resources are, and then what you're prepared to do about it. So I'll speak personally. As much as I um, I have some reservations about where we are with, with how housing is going, how we're moving away from sort of single landlords to more institutional um, things, but... In business, like you have to go with the flow. So what we're doing is we're going a bit more corporate. So we're we're raising big institutional funds to actually aggressively go into the PRS space. Nice. Because if you want to make a change, you've also got to be a bit of a partaker in it, right? Because Absolutely. ultimately, um, you have to decide how you have a seat at the table. Yeah. And there are other people who are like, well, by getting by getting involved in it right you're almost bringing it to pass and to be honest alex and i'm comfortable with saying this i still don't know what the best way forward is whether you actually aggressively be in top of the market so you're in those boardrooms where the decisions are being taken where you can pick up the phones of the prime minister where you're there meeting ministers or whether you're resisting on a local level right and speaking to your local councillor and speaking to your local, say, NHS commissioning board or speaking to your local planners or impacting local policy. I think there's a place for both. But once we start to get into the binary right or wrong, 
I, I seriously, maybe views will change and I'm happy to grow as this happens. I seriously, I seriously do not know which is the best approach yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose it was a very, it was a very open-ended question and I wasn't expecting a, a finite answer, but that, that's that's a great um, way of explaining it from your perspective. That was very interesting to listen to. Um, let's move forward now. I mean, we've already sort of merged and overlapped on a few subjects here, but let's move forward on to the pandemic then. Um, and let's try and niche down on the effect again. We've touched on entrepreneurship, just the investing world. What about the guy on the street, that bricklayer that works for himself, that small business owner, you know, there's there's been very little support for certain people that have genuinely needed it over this period of time. And then on the flip side of that same coin, we've had companies that don't need the support or dormant companies, for example, that have been getting um, bounce back loans left, right and centre. So, again, it's quite an open-ended question. I just wanted to get your take on, on that. How do we protect small business at this time? That is a that is a very very broad question. I think the very first thing is is lacing your question is protected from who, and who's doing the protection, and who we relying on. Okay. So, so from from like a financial perspective, <laughs> let's keep it as uh, let's keep it as that sort of topic for the moment. I yeah, mean, yeah, that's tax, that's, for example. I, We've been taxed to the hilt, left, right, and centre. Um, we've been stopped from even uh, working. We've been stopped from operating as businesses, um, whilst bigger, larger corporations have been allowed to continue. Um, I'm not coming to you for all of the answers here. I just want to, little, again, a little bit of a take from yourself, because you don't just come with this sort of business um, opinion. You give it a greater context, which is again in line with how we think here at Think Your Wealth. So, yeah, I don't know if that's helped you, mate, try and answer that. Yeah, but... no, I mean, I, I, I think going back to something I said at the very top is that everything's different, but everything's the same, right? Um, and you cannot ignore, you cannot ignore the policy papers. You cannot ignore where they're going. Now, there are some things that you cannot do, and I, I don't think I have an answer for someone who's behind on the technological curve, mm -hmm. right, in terms of what they can do. But there are some times when the, the rope has finished, right? It is time to do something else. It is time to see what systems there are and, and move with it. Now, I know that that doesn't actually sound like practical help to the, to the small cafe owner whose footfall has gone through the, through the floor whose business rates are going up, whose bounce back loan, which barely covered, you know, three months is now due, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not pretty, but sometimes you need to know when to stop fighting and to find out where you can go. Yeah. And for some people, it's going to be straight. Your business is not coming back, right? Yeah. Because you're not going to recover like having run and having, you know, I used to own six, uh, six venues, you know, at, at various points. And the margins can be so slim that you'll never, you'll never recover your investment back because say running a venue is 
you first of all refurb it so you're already down in the j curve that's a big then cost as well normally isn't yeah it? then you're recouping your money gradually but you're still having tax you're still having stock you're still having stock you're still having wear and tear then after a few years just when you're about to start making money the venue is tired and you have to refurb it again yeah yeah right so you go into this cycle again okay now if you've been closed for 18 months right with the bills increasing and the income not there you, you get into a bit where you have an unrecoverable gap yeah and the sooner the the, the longer you spend trying to fight that is the further away you get from doing something else and actually coming to terms and acceptance and peace. So that, so just to dip in there, that's like a human psych, psychological type of angle to think that, God, this is scary, but because it's scary, I don't really want to look into it and accept that what's coming is coming, whether that's closing your door to your business or whatever it might be. So here, here is one way that I've been able to... Uh, I'm going to try and be quick on this, which is kind of where I have been able to reform everything. I know you specifically asked me about a specific tactical problem with a small business, but some things are not solved at the tactical level. They're reframed at the strategic level, and then the tactics then follow from that. Yeah. So I, can, I, I don't have the specific uh, expertise to advise a small business owner who's taken advantage of the extension on their VAT being due or their bill being due, but they've spent some of that money because they have to keep their, their, keep their doors open, right? I don't have that particular expertise and I'll get that in. But what I can say is when I go on a top level and look strategically, I, I have this basic thing as number one. Through history, no matter what the conditions are, people have always find, found a way to thrive. Number two, if I was 17 today or 18 today, and this is the only world I, I knew, I would find a way. Uh, just to dip in again, mate. Yeah. If you were a 17-year-old coming <laughs> into this world now, in my opinion, and again, because of the way that I and people are mixed with generally think, this is going to might sound alien to a lot of people. This could be the most exciting time ever in so many ways just to give it a completely different spin. It could be, but like you only part of, as you get older. So for example, I was a DJ much earlier on. When I used to DJ, I used to, I used to, when I first started DJing, I used to have vinyl. Yeah. Right. So when I turn up at a gig, I'd have two crates. I'd have um, probably a, a record bag here, a couple of record bags, everything else. Right. And that's how I'd turn up at a gig. And the promoter knew that they were getting their money's worth. Right. Because to get my records, what happened is if you're playing set by set, you'd sort out, you sort out your set, you put your warm up tracks, you put your bangers if the dance floor was flat, you put some some tracks in there, you put a bit of a flow. Mm -hmm. So like if it wasn't working, you you, you know chop and change. You, chop and change, you know what bag you went in there. Like if you if you if you had some garage and drum and bass and R and B or something else, you'll also have that stuff. It, those work that went into track selection. And if you're playing sort of back-to-back -back or you play that venue, you'd purposely take some records out of your box, right? Yeah. So you don't end up by default playing the same set because you know things will mix, yeah. right? So when you turned up at a gig with your four bags full of records, the promoter, when they were giving you 200 quid, 400 quid or whatever, you could, they could see, they could visually see their money's worth. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So two teams now. I, I became a promoter and a venue owner. I started to resent DJs that used to come with just a sleeve full of CDs, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, even though practically it made no difference, but I used to I used to feel I used to feel that cheated. You know a bit cheated. But it got worse. <laughs> just DJs started turning up with USBs, right? <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> you know, and the only reason. The only reason I felt any way about it was because I had the history of vinyl. And I remember I used to go to Big Apple Records. I used to go to Black Market Records. I used to go, and I used to go there early on a Saturday, and I used to rift through the promos, say there was only four promos that came. And I knew when I had that vinyl, no one else had it. Yeah. And when I played that set, no one else had that remix, or there were a few pressed and everything else. So the only reason I felt resentment for that person turning up with the USB was because of all that pain that I went through, all those 12 quids, eight quids, um, you know, yeah. 1799s for those, for those records, right, that I had, all those presses. So bringing that into business, a lot of what holds people back is the memory of what was or what could be, Right based on their memory of the past. And when you don't have that baggage, mm-hmm. right, all you see is the opportunity in front of you. So this is why the reframe is important. And when you reform, reframe at the top level, then what to do in the present becomes obvious. So for example, the questions, useful questions were, if I was 17 or 18 starting today, what would I know? What would it look like, right? You know, I mean, people, people don't even know what, a revolutionary thing lyrics az on the internet was because <coughs> you'd literally wait for the chart or wait for the playlist you'll have your tape you press record right once the song comes on then to learn the lyrics you get a pen and paper you rewind press play a little bit get you know there's some girls who can listen to a song and they know the words instantly i don't know what kind of voodoo they're on but i'm not one of them to learn any song right you couldn't get on the internet because you use it at a certain time. It was 56 K KB or you go through AOL portal. You didn't have it on tap on your phone. Right. But if I was born today, that's just my normal world. That's just my world. Like even this zoom is revolutionary because what was top of the range after MSN messenger, then you had Skype. And it's like, wow, this is, you know, and you'd be seeing stuff in. Yeah. So true. Whatever. So, just to dip in again, mate, because <laughs> yeah. I think I think I think this is important. Um, and I think you did touch on it earlier on in this uh, this podcast, which was, and we was on about medicine at the time. I think, yeah, people always think the next change that people make is is the pinnacle. Like so, yes. medicine. So medicine, for example, let's use the word vaccine. It's the pinnacle of health. Now, who in the right mind can, can can come to that conclusion when we've been here for thousands of years and all yeah. of a sudden the pinnacle of health is something which has got all sorts of ingredients not healthy for a human, but all of a sudden that's the pinnacle of health. So I think, yeah, it's so good to have that history, recognize what worked back then and still be able to call on that when when you need to and then also integrate the good new stuff new tech techs everywhere into that as well and you get the best of both but i think where people uh, let themselves down is where 
they think the latest new development, for example, in whatever setting, in whatever context, is always the pinnacle, and it's quite often not the case. And, and that, that's spot on. I, it's exactly what we talked about earlier. News isn't always better, it's just news. Sometimes news is worse. Right? Say that again, mate. Sorry, I lost I you there. News isn't always better, it's just news. That's right. <laughs> and uh, when we look at everything, and we can have all complex models, but there are a few things which stand the test of time. Look at Bell's curve distribution, you know, and you look at the innovation curve, and you look at the product life cycle, and you look at the principle of diminishing marginal returns. Sometimes, you know, because we have a business model which over which overlays the way that we do business, which means that you always have to have new products, you always have to push things, even when it gets detrimental because you have to we built this whole model of more and more increasing returns to the shareholders. You know, just like Target, um, and the moment you do a Target, you automatically move it, and then you have to double double business, and you have to keep on growing. This, this cycle of endless growth, so it's a totally different conversation. But whether we're questioning whether, whether this endless growth thing is actually good for us in the long term, and this yeah. is reflected in the medical field, so where we're actually in a situation where in between the food industry and the medical industry, you have to create problems so you can create this revenue stream. And so, you know, they're all at it. And, uh, you know, which is what was confirmed that the new, I don't know if you saw Christopher, Christopher Coleman, the FDA, um, who was caught on camera two days ago. No, I haven't seen this. this. He said, we get billions of dollars a year from the pharmaceutical companies and the food industries to employ people to review to make these things go through so the food industry creates a problem the pharmaceutical companies create a solution <laughs> and that's how it kind of works so and it's all intertwined with the governments etc etc et absolutely because they yeah. pay all these licensing fees yeah. they pay all these processing fees you know uh, and unfortunately because the shareholders so there's I don't believe in conspiracy theories at all. I don't believe conspiracy theories exist. All there is is that the governments speak in big print, but they operate in small print. And most people don't read the small print. If you want to know what's happening, all you have to do is a lot of these big companies, they're all PLCs, and they have to announce to their shareholders, they have their earning forecast, they have their product forecast, they have, and in there, they announce what they want to do with products. Then they announce where they're expecting revenues to come from. Then they yeah. press on the regulators to push it through. There's there's nothing hidden. You don't have to go into a dark room and you know and, and have the password. It is all there in the small print. <laughs> like I remember with you know one of my businesses in March 2020, I said we're not coming back into a room again this year. They thought I was crazy, but it. It wasn't rocket science. All that happened was I read the Coronavirus Act, which had a 31st of March 2022 sunset clause. I just read it. I read it twice in that week. And I said, it's here, right? Yeah. So what they're saying about two weeks is just not true because their policy doesn't align. I, I read all the nerve type notes, uh, which is a new emerging res respiratory you know, uh, disease. I can't remember what nerve type stands for. I read their notes, yeah. right? <laughs> so... There were no secrets. There were no. There's no conspiracies. It's just you just you got to be willing. Yeah, you got to be willing to just got to be willing to find it and then read it. To read it, 
yeah. That's how I've been able to to, to basically <coughs> predict with some accuracy, you know, um, slightly below 100% just because of the timing. But with, with absolute accuracy, what's going to happen? Because yeah. they've already published. They've told us, yeah. What they're going to do. They've already published yeah. what their policy is. They've already signaled everything they're doing. So just read the- it. This, this sort of quite fittingly moves us on to our sort of last part of the podcast, if you like, uh, Aaron, which was freedom, sovereignty. Those are the sort of core principles that we've built thinking wealth around. Um, it's something that we live our lives by. It's something I'm um, instilling into my own children. I think it's hugely important for us moving forward as people. Um, and again, we have touched on a bit of this as we've gone throughout the podcast, but society is changing at a rapid pace. Business is changing at a rapid pace. Technology like we've never seen before is it's just so quick now. Where are we going? Again, take that conversation however you want, but and we can de- delve into whatever you like here now. Um, we've got about 10 minutes left, I think. Where are we going as a society? What can you see? What have you already seen and read where this is heading? Okay, so... <laughs> go now anywhere you like. Now we're, now we're going to go deep. Which was, and there's a principle called Imago Dei. And this is in the image of God. Okay? So I was raised in Muslim. And then I became Christian through through life. But ultimately, um, you know, you have to first of all decide whether a human being is special because they're a human or a human being is special based on what you perceive their value to be. So let me expand this slightly. I believe every single human being is special because they're made in the image of God. Okay. So it doesn't matter whether you're born in the desert in the Kalahari or whether you're born in Buckingham Palace or whether you're born, you know, in the outskirts of, 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 of Mongolia yeah. or you're born in the middle of New York. The fact you're a human being means that your life is precious, your life is special, and you are, have ex- intrinsically the same value. That's that's the starting block for for how we start to look at look at everything else. Yeah, right. That exists. You know, there is the other side, which is a bit more of a a, a cruder, more uh, jovial side, where I say, well, if you wake up in the morning and your breath stinks, and if you use the toilet and you have to clean your bum, there's no difference between you and me. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> so you know, true. that's that's the less. A spiritual yeah. high bar well, version of it. The same I, thing. I mean, just 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 to touch on what you mentioned originally there in that sort of that last piece. I think even if you're not religious, then I think it's recognizing in yourself all of those things that you've just said. Now, whether you think that's through God, whatever God that might be, I think it's recognizing that you know you have got this power built in you from the day you were born and it's only all the shit basically that gets put on us which dissolves it so as we move into sort of this adulthood we become a complete shadow of what we could be of what we were maybe as as children yeah 
Um, and that's a, that's a that's a that's a really sort of good point because we're talking about freedom and sovereignty. It's like we submit ourselves to man-made systems, right? So this is where I have a flexible approach between sort of what is what is the framework by which we have civic society and how do those laws come to be and where do we have in terms of absolute morality in you know in terms of the freedom for people to be um, not to harm other people not to kill other people not to take things which aren't theirs because i know with a bit of lobby with leaning on stuff you can all of a sudden get laws that suit you yeah so and where we are is we're definitely definitely at the cusp and the bodily autonomy conversation people do not realize just how critical that is to our functioning as a society i've got good news and i've got bad news or i've just got news if we actually were to now take a helicopter view over the last thousand years, say, the last a hundred years in particular have been the anomaly, the exception, not the rule. For most of human history, the common man has had to tend the land, has had to endure um, being invaded or killed by other people, has had to be subservient has lived a life of hardship, right? It is only in the last few years that Tracy from Tottenham could decide at 12 p.m. on Friday to go to Spain, get on the Ryanair website and be there in the evening, right? Even in the 40s and the 50s, you had to be super, or even before that, you had to be super wealthy to first of all, leave your little village, right? Right, you know, some people never even came to London in their whole lifetime or they went there once, they went to the big city because you had a local job, you worked six days a week, apart from Sundays when you went to church, right? Mm -hmm. your, your children worked or they were apprentices through, the wife stayed at home to take care of them or tended your little patch. You didn't have time to gallivant. You didn't, you didn't have guaranteed salary in your bank account if you didn't have, you didn't, of course you didn't have a bank account. You didn't, you know, you traded by barter or you had some, some currency. Later on, as we started to come into the last century, you started to have stuff like building societies and mutual funds where factory workers come together and put money together and start to buy property and all this other stuff. But when we look over a thousand years, this is very, this, this period we've been in is actually quite, is the anomaly, not the rule. Unfortunately, the other thing about the West being the dominant power, again, for probably six, six to 800 of the last thousand years, <coughs> the superpowers have been China and have been India, right? So this, this Western dominance, again, is very, is relatively new. Mm -hmm. So we're actually adjusting to something which is historically more normal, where we've had kings and serfs, right? <laughs> now, the flip side of that, is that it doesn't have to go back to that way. We don't have to regress. So this is why we have to stand for the gains we have made. Just because something has happened before doesn't mean it should happen again. If I want to follow my first um, conversation logically, does this mean we, we go back to indentured servants? Does that mean we go back to sort of um, worldwide slavery, even though that's a very interesting topic um, with some historical facts that people are not ready for in, 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 regards to, um, in regards to slavery, but we've already 
skipped on a few topics on this on this podcast, but my 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 views are historically accurate, but not not very conventionally popular. Yeah. Because, um. So do we go? So, the fact that it, we're in a historical blip in the current sort of prosperity doesn't mean that we have to go back to what has been historically more normal. Yeah, that's that was a fascinating listen, mate. Um, and who knows? Who knows where we're going? I mean, again, it was a very much an, an open-ended question, and it was that's been the theme of the whole pod- podcast. When I originally asked you to come on, I knew it'd be a fluid conversation, and we'd cross over into all sorts of subjects. Um, and I'd just like to thank you, mate, for coming on. Um, You're welcome. Really enjoyed it. It's actually great to have an hour just speaking to you rather than just reading. Facebook and Instagram and all that sort of thing. So again, pleasure to have you on. Um, where can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out and find out more about yourself, mate? Yeah, they can they can uh, send me send me an email at Aaron at AaronHigh.com. I suppose you can put that into the show notes. Uh, the website hasn't been up for a bit, but I suppose I'm probably gonna just put put back the holding the holding page and you know, whilst I'm still available, you can you can find me on Facebook. Um, love you, hi, everyone. There's no guarantees when you listen to this. <laughs> it will still be there. Uh, but reach out if you want to have a general discussion um, around property, around business, you know, around mindset. Or if there's anything that I've said or discussed which you'd want to know a little bit more detail, I'll be happy to to uh, to have a chat. Or they can just contact you and we can take Yeah, it. we'll sort it. Um, no doubt this will go across social media anyway. I mean, we're on YouTube and all the podcast channels anyway. So if people do want to reach out, obviously I'm sure they will, mate. Um, Again, thanks a lot for coming on. It's been our pleasure uh, and I'll speak to you soon, mate. You're welcome. Thank you. Cheers, Aaron. Thanks, Alex.